Hello, hello. We are back with your favourite program, right? It is Pet Chat. And Dr. Kimberly Earl, just you and I today. It's just a girls' club today. It certainly well, is. Sometimes it's a girls' club with Cheryl as well, but just the two of us. But I think it's a good mm. chance to really uh, get in and get these calls answered up, you know, nice and early. Absolutely. Because last week we were quite inundated. We didn't get to everyone, and we've got more time today. So if you've got a question for Kimberly, uh, or even just a comment or a concern, give us a call four nine two one six two one six. Anything you're seeing in particular? At the moment? Mm, oh, I don't know. Nothing specific at the moment. Yeah. Mm, there's a lot of different things, but I, I can see that people are calling already. So obviously a few questions out there, which we'll get to next. A huge welcome to the show. Jennifer in Patterson, how can Kimberly help you? I picked a young baby rainbow lorikeet off the road this morning. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they bite. <laughs> they sure do. <laughs> but he's only a baby. I don't know if it's a male or a female, yeah. but I went and... Well, my husband was in town, so I asked him to get um, lorikeet Some lorikeet food, yep. yep. Is that the right... And how... Do you make it watery? Yeah, so so that's certainly the the right sort of place to start. Um, so you can lots of the feeds are designed to be fed either wet or dry, and you can. We often encourage people to put a little dish of the dry powder out beside a bowl of water, and then also you make it um, fairly runny. So like runnier than um, you know baby baby rice cereal. You need to yep. have it a little bit, almost like that they can lap it up. Um, needs to be changed fairly regularly. Uh, certainly once you know once every twelve hours, but probably twelve uh, like twice throughout the day would be would be ideal. And then we want to start. Um, de- I guess it depends a little bit what your intentions are for the bird, but we want to start um, offering it some vegetables and fruit as well. So. Our commercial fruits are tasty and sweet and they will like it, but we also want to encourage um, vegetables because the wild fruits are much lower in sugar and much higher in fiber. So they're much, they, they mimic things like um, beans and peas and um, capsicum and stuff a lot more. Right, so that's what he can have? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So lots of veggies, some some lorikeet mix, fresh water always, always. Um, we don't recommend any seeds. These guys don't need any seeds. We don't recommend any dairy products. We certainly don't recommend bread and honey. They will like it, but it's really bad for them. Yep. And Jennifer, where's he staying at the moment? Have you got a little cage? Or... Yeah, I've got my husband to get a cage yeah. for him. Oh, how lovely are you? And so is this a little bird that's got a black beak still? Yes. Yeah, so he's just a baby. So, I mean... I'm happy. He's- he squawks a lot. I've got a hand. I'm trying to hand raise him. Yeah. But he's a little bit iffy at the moment. So I'll try him again with a bit more food. Yeah, yeah. And try and calm and tame him. That's yeah. what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this is um, th- this is a question that's popping up in my head, Kimberly. Sure. Um, obviously, Jennifer's got a little bit of an idea um, on mm. how to to look after this rainbow lorikeet. Yeah. Are we meant to take them into the vets, and and do we want to tame them um, with the idea yeah. of letting them back out in the wild? How does that sort of work? What's the yeah. rules on that? So, so I mean, well, theoretically, wild birds are meant to stay in the wild, um, but they are rainbow lorikeets aren't a bird that require a permit for owning things like that. Some of are more uh, quote unquote precious um, wildlife. You have to have a permit to own them, and oh, rainbow okay. lorikeets don't fall within that you know boundary. So it's it's really common for us to 
um, get birds that, you know, are wild. Um, and for the most part, they can tame down pretty well, particularly if you do get them as babies. You just need to be aware of the, you know, the fact that it can be really stressful for them, particularly in early days when they haven't had any exposure to humans. Um, there's also a disease risk. So if you've a person who've who already has birds, you wouldn't necessarily want to bring that baby lorikeet because we know that be, that lorikeets can can carry and most of them have been exposed to beak and feather disease. And that was one of my, my points. It's quite possible that this bird's on the ground because it's a beak and feather disease bird. So we often describe these little guys as runners and they don't have their normal primary feathers so they can't oh. fly. They've come out of the nest, they've developed to this stage pretty normally but they've never grown their primary feathers. Um, sometimes they don't have the nice long tail feathers as well. Well, he hasn't got his long tail. Yet. Yeah. So can he live so, a good life in, um, in captivity? Like you know, he if can, he stays with Jennifer, there's not a guarantee, but he can. So beak and feather disease in lorikeets is a really complex disease, um, and some of the birds that will be exposed to it early on will die. It will cause like an AIDS-like sort of syndrome where it just wipes out their immune systems, and they will they will die, and there'll be nothing you can do about it. But yep. we do know that rainbow lorikeets, um, with good husbandry and good you know nutrition and things like that, uh, in some cases will actually recover from clinical um, disease. So it but might it be that... Wait. Yeah. So, I mean, and yeah, yeah. The, the weather at the moment certainly makes it, you know, higher risk for normal birds to just be on the ground. And that is certainly a possibility. Um, but, you know, there's always that risk. So even with beak and feather disease lorikeets that have recovered clinically and they've gone back to normal, they will always shed that virus. So um, just be mindful about, you know, what other birds you're putting him around. I guess that would be my would be my warning. Yeah, well, I've also got a baby. Uh, I've got a ringneck too. Yeah. One. So and, and a ringneck, a juvenile. So juvenile birds are always going to be much more susceptible. So you really need to probably keep the lorikeet well away from the baby ringneck. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. <laughs> Jennifer's thinking too late. <laughs> no, yeah, oh, no, not really, because uh, my other one's out, out oh, in the perfect. lounge room and he's on top of the... They're not close. Yeah, oh, perfect. Yeah, just go. get your alcohol hand rub and just be really careful about, you know, what we call fomite transmission. So if you've got, once the baby lorikeet is um, less feral and, and bitey, um, you know, if you're handling him on your, you know, on your person, he's, you're carrying him around, then you just don't want to go straight to your baby ring neck after that. Okay. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for the call. That was a really interesting one, one yeah. I hadn't really thought about, mm. you know, when you when you do find a bird, you know, keeping them or what, yeah. what you do when you release yeah. them. Yeah, I mean, ideally it would go back up into it tree but yes. it doesn't necessarily you know it's the weather is a hard thing at the moment too so so jennifer could potentially um you know get, get him back mm. to health and then because you don't want him too tame because he yeah. you want him to be able yeah. to um sometimes all they need is just literally you know a bit of food and water and a warm-up to get them warm and dry and you can often you know pop them back up in a bush and tree and and a lot of times the parent birds are still around i was going to ask about that mm. would it need its parents to survive at this point if it's quite young potentially but sometimes it's just to like for them to guide the bird to where it needs to go so okay mm. there you go welcome kerry in ellamore vale uh please tell kimberly what's happening with your 13 year old husky slash malamute oh hello um the dog is showing some really strange behavior like he's standing with his nose up very close to the wall just standing there um another time i found him pushing his poo along the ground with his nose um I'm just concerned that there that there might be a bit of 
dementia or something going mm. on with him. Yeah, certainly. And and a thirteen year old husky, that's you know, that's a pretty um, a pretty elderly dog. We definitely yeah. do um, identify. We call it canine cognitive dysfunction in dogs, but it's essentially dementia, um, and it is it is not uncommon. Um, we start to see things like you know the dogs are disoriented. Sometimes they start to lose their um, their toilet training. That we see an increased incidence of house soiling. Uh, they often are not resting and sleeping well at night. So lots of people report that they start to pace through the night. Um, they may have a, a decreased interaction with the family um, you know they maybe don't sort of care so much and then often these older dogs will have problems like their their hearing is not as good as well and their mm-hmm. vision is not as good so yeah. we can sometimes see um, you know changes in behavior that's that's related to that as well and anxiety goes up really high in some of these dogs you know we start to get dogs sometimes that just start to vocalize and things like that um, but that you know staring into corners or staring just off in the distance and not really, you know, just being very vague is not an uncommon sort of finding. Um, There's no cure for dementia in dogs, but there are things that can be done. Um, And I would always encourage you to have your old dog checked out by a veterinarian because sometimes the things that we see uh, can be attributable to or partially attributable to other, you know, older age diseases. Arthritis is a possibility. Glaucoma. Some of these dogs have, um, you know, cataracts and they've developed glaucoma secondary to their cataracts. So their eyes are sore. Um, You know, there are things that can be done. And, And then there are supplements and things, um, some special diets that have been shown to be um, quite helpful in the short term. Um, some of these dogs, you know, just like humans, um, they will have, you know, female dogs in particular, they often have occult urinary tract infections. And if you clear up the urinary tract infection, the dog starts, the, the, the house swelling just goes away in some cases. So okay. it's definitely worthwhile having the dog checked out. Um, doesn't mean I can promise you a cure for it or a, or a significant improvement even, but sometimes just having a bit more information about what's going on can sort of help you to sort of like step back and look at the dog as a whole and go, yep, okay. Um, you know, we're going to now assess what the quality of life of this dog is and see where we can make things better and before we have to make a decision for whether or not, you know, that the dog has got a decent quality of life or not. And lots of them do. Um, but dementia, like in humans, is a progressive disease. It gets worse over time. So what what would be the normal lifespan expectancy for a, um, a husky? A husky? Uh, 12 to 14 years. Oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> so you've right. done yeah. so well. <laughs> 12 to 14 years, yeah. Listen, we, we see some huskies um, that, you know, particularly the, the littler ones, I find that the little ones often we will see them occasionally getting to 15 years of age. But a 13-year-old husky is a pretty old husky. Yeah. So, I know he's yeah. got some arthritis in his hips and yeah. he is visually impaired. Um, yeah. Okay, so it's just more about making him comfortable. Quite life. often, but there are definitely some um, some foods and some supplements that have been shown to, to make some improvement for these guys, okay. at least in the short to medium term. And mm. Okay. Kerry, oh, thank you very much. They just don't live long enough, do they? I'm, I'm in a no. similar boat with my little man. He's 16, 17 this year, and yeah. I'm trying to prepare myself already because yeah. it's just, it is so hard yeah. when we know they're there. But I just think, wow, what a life. Like, what an yeah. amazing 
amazing yeah. life they've yeah. had. So yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. Thanks You're very for welcome. caring. Thanks for the call. We just, um, you know, we love it. But it is hard, Kimberly, with with our um, older dogs. How often mm. should we be getting them checked? Um, is it a yearly thing or six months? At least yearly, but really okay. probably dogs who are and certainly large breed dogs who are over sort of ten years of age ideally would probably be getting checked out every six months, um, and certainly small breed dogs from about twelve years of age probably should be getting checked out every six months because a lot can change in a half a year. You That's know, if you if you think about we always talk about a dog year is seven. Uh, sorry, human years, uh, seven dog years, that's three and a half years, yeah. even that, that half a year. So major changes can happen in a short period. And trying to adjust uh, with those changes and maybe medicating can make a huge difference. Absolutely. Uh, you know, like Gizmo wasn't sleeping through. He's now on an anti-inflammatory medication at yep. night and it's made a big difference. Yeah. So it's just tweaking, I guess, where they're at. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. And we can always make more improvements if we see things earlier on. Let's go to Janine in Abermain. Janine, thank you for... For, for waiting now what's your question today for Kimberly oh hello Kimberly how are you I'm um, good thanks good um, my question is we've got two budgies a male and a female they're in a cage about 60 60 by 50 centimeters so a reasonable size for the two I, I think yeah um, and they they've been mating for about a year now mm-hmm. I think um, now, every time they mate, she produces eggs and she can produce up to five eggs and they have they have never come to fruition. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, a few have, but the eggs seem to rot in there yeah. and just rot. And, and if she gets one through to, to birth, it, it is usually stillborn or lasts for a, like a few days and then it yeah. dies. Okay. And and she got one right through to about, oh, a couple of weeks of age. It started to get a few feathers on it. This was yeah. her last attempt. And then it, it died as well. Yeah, okay. So how old are the budgies roughly? Are they a couple They're, of years old? Yeah, they're about two and a half. Yeah. So it's not uncommon for them to have a few goes at the beginning that are sort of false starts. That's pretty normal. Um, But a lot of what you're describing um, can be related to diet nutrition of the parents as well. So it's really, really important that the budgies aren't just eating a seed-based diet because seed is not actually a very healthy diet for birds, for any birds really. Um, It's full of fat, which means it's got lots of calories to keep you alive, but it's very low in nutrients and particularly it's very low in calcium and you need calcium for healthy eggs healthy bones healthy muscle contraction you also need a lot of vitamins and minerals and nutrition so the first thing I would always tell people to do is to make sure our diet is really good so in budgies um, some seed or a basis of seed is okay but they really need to be getting fresh green veggies every single day seeded grasses um, things like that. If you can get them onto a finch and budgie crumble as the basis of their food or part of their food, that's even better because that's going to have all the nutrients sort of fortified in it. Um, and then when it comes to actually laying eggs, then we're going to need to give them a little bit extra on top of that. Uh, so particularly for five eggs for, for a budgie, that's quite a lot. Um, you know, we would normally see them laying somewhere between three and four, but it's not uncommon to see five. 
It's a very labor-intensive process. So, um, you know, we would want to make sure they've got extra calcium. Um, you can give them hard-boiled egg for extra protein. That can be um, really uh, – my, my well, I was going to say, my mother will be listening, and she'll she'll be sitting in the background saying, make sure you tell them about the hard-boiled egg. Um, we used to mush it up onto a little plate and put it in the bottom of the cage, and the budgies would come down. Um, and that's a really good source of protein um, because you need protein. Do you peel the egg? Um, you can, yep, yep, you can. And then some people would actually recommend feeding the eggshell back and there's no problem with that. They'll get a little bit of calcium out of the calcium carbonate out of it, but it's mostly un, um, undissolved or um, insoluble calcium. So um, a calcium supplement intermittently in the water is probably better um, when they're laying a lot of eggs. Um, and then certainly if you're noticing that she's, you know, sometimes they will, they'll just sit on the eggs for too long um, and nothing happens. And so you may need to to sort of candle the eggs. I don't know if you if you look online about candling, you can actually take the eggs and shine a, um, a light through them. You can use an iPhone torch or a little torch underneath them, and you're looking to see whether the eggs are fertile. They should have some little blood vessels in there, um, so that can help you to tell whether they're even a fertile. Um, egg or not because sometimes the, the birds don't necessarily know either and they'll just sort of be laying eggs. The other thing to be aware of is that birds uh, who have a strong motivation to drive can fatigue themselves and get into big trouble and so if your birds are laying lots and lots of eggs continuously sometimes it's worthwhile shutting that whole process down and giving them some time to rest and build up the stores of calcium and protein and nutrition. Um, so I would, um, you know, consider that if they've been laying clutch after clutch after clutch, maybe yep. take the nest box away, um, you know, move the cage, toss the, the cage furnishings around, move the perches and the balls just to sort of shake them up a little bit. We're going into winter, which is, um, not, you know, traditionally a normal breeding season for birds. So. Um, sometimes covering them over earlier of an evening and leaving them covered so that their um, light stimulation goes down a little bit just to try to rest them for a bit can be really helpful. Okay, look, thank you so much for the call. A lot of excellent advice there. Let's go back to what well, a cat. I think this is our first cat question today. Lorraine in Anna Bay, you've got an 11-year-old cat and it's had a bronchial-like cough. Yes, that's right. It's had it, had it for about well, probably four weeks. Okay. It's easing off now, but now we've started sneezing all the time. Mm, okay. And is the... It's mainly at night. At night, late okay. Late afternoon. Is there a discharge when he's sneezing? Are you getting a snotty nose? Well, I did see... Well, he sleeps on my bed. Yeah. And I put it, you know, an extra <laughs> blanket on top of it. And I have noticed some... Oh, orangey, light brown. Oh, yeah. Okay. And so, I mean, I guess with an older cat like this, so so the things that we're always worried about is um, cat flu, whether the cat is up to date with um, cat flu vaccination, which actually helps in this instance to sort of stimulate the um, immune response. Um, But we can certainly see um, asthma in cats. We can certainly see nasal polyps, nasopharyngeal polyps, where they actually grow like a little little soft, smooth, round growth up above at the base of the... um, the hard palate sort of in oh. the nasal cavity and that can cause sneezing um so you know i guess my my concerns would be if the cat's not eating drinking toileting normally um cats will stop eating if they can't smell the food so if they're getting a lot of nasal discharge then um it's definitely worthwhile getting them checked out by a vet um he's eating absolutely well and normally, normally. everything about him is normal yeah. except for the the cough, the cough and now yeah. the sneeze and he's an indoor cat yeah 
Can they get so, hay fever? You know, he doesn't mix with anyone mm. else or, you know, no. anything like that. Yeah, no, they don't really get hay fever in the same way that, you know, sort of we do. Mm-hmm. But we certainly see asthma. So coughing cats um, should be worked up for asthma. Um, there's also lungworm they can get. And then some of the nastier things, you know, some of the cancers that we'll see in dogs and cats, um, sometimes the first time they present is because they've gone into the chest. So, okay. um, you know, e- even a well cat at that age would probably be worthwhile um, a checkup and just to sort yep. of see if there's anything, you know, going on that's treatable or, or things. Okay. Furball doesn't cause it, does he? I buy him the um, the Whiskers Furball no. dry food, which he prefers over any other sort of food. Yeah. And he hasn't been, and he's a licker. He licks himself yeah. a lot because he's got a, a quite a long coat. Coat, yep. But yeah. he hasn't been bringing up as many furballs as he used to, whether that's due to the dry food or not. Because I used to think maybe he's trying to bring up a furball yeah not if they're sneezing so sometimes they'll they'll sort of retch and it sounds like a bit of a cough and usually there's a gag at the end of it and then if they're lucky they'll bring the furball up but not with a sneeze i'd say welcome to the show roger you're in lake memora tell us what's happening with your pooch yeah well i've I've got a tibetan spaniel Mm -hmm. and uh he's taken to loving me yeah that's nice yeah, he's beside me, but when I go out of the house, like last night I, I got his tea before I went to see my wife in hospital, and it was still uh, not eaten, not touched, till I got home, and then he started to eat. Yeah. Now, I was in, in hospital for three days, and my daughter, which he knows well, yeah. was minding him, and he, he wouldn't eat for the whole three, three days. days. Oh, my yeah. gosh. And I'm frightened that he, if I was away for any longer, he'd just starve Stop. and die. Yeah, so it sounds like he's got a little bit of a um, separation anxiety issue from you, Roger, and he's he's wanting to eat with his pack around, and you're his pack. Um, but the good news is that it's very rare for a dog who's a healthy dog to starve themselves to death. So um, I'm suspecting that your dog is probably like a lot of the dogs that I see, where they've got a little bit of extra padding, and when they feel like you know they're a bit worried about something, a little bit anxious, or they're people aren't around they're they're okay to live off their body fat and stores and things like that for a number of days and dogs unlike cats dogs don't um get sick from from not eating so cats we really want cats to be eating you know at least you know we don't want them to go for more than two and a half to three days because they can actually develop a liver problem but dogs don't do that so i suspect that when your little pooch got hungry enough that he would probably go and eat maybe not very enthusiastically um, but he would he would in all likelihood go and eat some food, um, particularly if your um, daughter whatever was there. So um, don't panic about him starving to death. I think that's unlikely. Sometimes they do need a little bit of bribery with extra good stuff. It sounds like he's very attached to you. Um, and if you're worried about that, there would be some things, um, you know, to work on in terms of um, f- helping him to feel a little bit more confident, a little bit less worried when you're gone. You could go to the Fear Free Happy Homes website and look at separation anxiety and there'd be some activities there for how to um, try to encourage your dog to be a little bit more confident when you're not, um, you know, not away. It doesn't sound like he's got a destructive habit, just that he's, you know, not wanting to, to do the normal things when you're not around but in in fairness my dog my I have a young pup um and she you know I gave her a uh 
Chew the other day when I went out because I was leaving her in the backyard and I was going to be gone for a few hours. And when I came home three hours later, it was still there, hadn't been touched, had been moved around the, uh, the backyard a couple times. And as soon as I came home, she went over, got it, and laid down at my feet and started to chew on it. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty normal dog behavior. So don't Thank panic you. too much. That You're very welcome. Really good news. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for the call, Roger. And we hope that your wife is on the mend as well. Uh, yeah, it's interesting how they, you know, my, my mother-in-law has cats yeah. and she always says she's constantly buying them the, the best of the best because yeah. she said, oh, Sarah, if I don't, they won't eat and they'll just starve. And yeah. I say, I don't think they will. Actually, cats will. So we actually, they <gasps> documented that cats will starve themselves to death. Dogs Really? Want. If they yeah. don't get the right food yeah. that they like. Yeah. That's outrageous. Yeah. And, or if they're, you know, particularly upset about something or unwell. Yeah. Really? Okay. Mm. Well, I stand corrected. <laughs> Sorry, Minna. Uh, let's go to Robert now and Raymond. Terrace. Robert, thank you for calling Pet Chat. How can we help you today? Uh, the main part of my call yep. is, oh, look, quickly, growing up, I had a couple of nicknames. One was Chicken <laughs> and the other was Chook because <laughs> I grew up on the Chicken Hatchery Poultry Farm oh, yes. up ah. in Tamworth. Yeah. All right, Chook, what have you got for us? <laughs> I wish to congratulate and uh, say thanks to your girl there as to Kimberly, Dr. what Kimberly. you were saying about the eggs for the the birds. Oh, good. That was a call in regards to the budgies. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, and okay. the eggs. Yes. Yep. Oh, so and you think she knows the stuff? Oh, <laughs> she more than knows it. <laughs> You'd want it, Kimberly. Oh, you specialise in this. I'm glad to hear it. Oh, I'm not a specialist, but yeah, I do no, see a well, lot of birds. You can imagine, like, uh, my f- parents had a chicken hatcher and that, and I had to learn how to examine egg, uh, chook eggs and that. But it's all the same. Yeah, it birds is. Birds are birds are birds. They it absolutely doesn't matter. Are. That's right. Yep. Oh, well, there you go, Robert. Look, thank you so and much. just one quick thing. Yep. You were saying about the eggshells. Yes. And give them back. Now, if a if a person wants to, if the eggshells haven't been, if the eggs are broken, yeah, and you know to poach or something like that, and then those eggshells are mashed up, yeah, raw, the chick, the birds would probably digest it better. That's true. Yeah, probably if you if you feed them raw rather than having them cooked. Um, because probably the calcium carbonate hardens in the heat. So thank okay. you. Thank you, Robert. It's lovely to hear that I've got your seal of approval. <laughs> okay. Uh, Kimberly, I'm not sure whether we've got one more question that we might be able to squeeze in uh, or not at this point. We'll just go to this caller. Hello. Are you calling for pet chat? Hello. Are you calling for pet chat? No. Okay. No. Look, you wanted to touch on uh, something that is happening at the moment. That's I a bit did. of bit of yeah. concern. So, well, we've been um, we've been given notice um, through the grapevine and other things that uh, the Central Coast Council is going to be doing a feral rabbit reduction program release. So they're basically going to release some more Khaleesi virus. Mm. It's given in a. Um, they're basically going to be planting slurries of carrots and water and virus um, around the Central Coast, starting from the. Th- 
uh, 17th of March. That's a Thursday. Um, and so that's uh, Khaleesi virus causes rabbit hemorrhagic disease. Um, and that is a fatal disease of rabbits. And pet rabbits are at risk. And so we just want to be reminding everybody who's got pet rabbits in the Newcastle and Central Coast region um, to get your pet rabbits vaccinated. Ideally, they'd be vaccinated two weeks before. Um, if they've never been vaccinated, they're going to have really very limited immunity to it. So it's definitely worthwhile getting them started on their vaccine course. Um, but even if they've been vaccinated in the you know past six months, so our, our current recommendation is six monthly vaccine boosters. If they're coming close to that in the face of a, um, of a release or an outbreak, we would definitely recommend getting them vaccinated. And Kimberly, if you are up to date with the mm-hmm. vaccinations, is that 100% foolproof? Or? Not 100%, but it certainly gives us the best chance of of um, you know preventing it so all the normal things apply so um, you know making sure the rabbits who are outside are outside um, in mosquito proof enclosures if you're harvesting grass and things for the rabbits outside just give it a wash underwater before you you know give it to the pet rabbits um, you know trying to keep them sort of protected away from um, biting insects and things like that and and away from anywhere where feral rabbits might be sure so that's from the 17th and how long would would people have to be on sort of um, high alert mm, I'm not. They haven't really given us information right. of how long that program is going to okay. be going on yeah, for. Fair so, enough. But you know, Khaleesi virus is relatively long-lasting in the environment. So, um, you know, even if they just did a drop over one day, which I'm sure it'll be longer than that, um, you know, you'd certainly want to be keeping your rabbits, you know, safe for the next few months. Now, Kimberly, mm. you mentioned her before, but you haven't said hello to a special <laughs> someone today, and you know you've got to do that. Hi, mum. Hi, mum. <laughs> yeah, always. Say hi to Kimberly's mum. She listens without fail. She's in Canada and she what's it, what time is it again? Um, it's at night. It's night time. Yeah, it'll be about seven o'clock on Tuesday night. I wonder if she has her dinner with you. you Probably. Know, that's lovely. That, maybe maybe listens and then goes, has dinner. She's a, a late eater. <laughs> and I need to ask you as well, because yeah. I know that your mum was texting about the birds yes. and that you grew up with birds. Is that yeah. where a bit of a love for birds came Absolutely. from? Absolutely. Yeah. Mom, my mum, I was really fortunate to grow up in a house that had loads and loads of birds. Mum had pet birds before she had children. Um, and so they've always been in my house and in my life. And oh. um, and I have a memories of many, many different ones. And as kids, you know, we got to like do the, the you know, breeding the baby budgies and oh, hand wearing wow. the baby budgies and things like that. Do so you own birds now? I do. I have a galah and a pearly conure. So an Aussie native and then a South American little little conure. That's very cool because mm. I hadn't heard you talk about your birds, so I wasn't oh, sure whether yeah. you still had them. Yeah, I do. Yep, yep oh, I do. Well, yeah. they, they get on go. really well with the golden retriever. Oh, okay, look, um, oh, I think we've had one more call. Oh, we've only got about... 50 seconds. Okay. Um, okay, so Julie is in Waratah West. Julie, we are running out of time, but your cat gets car sick. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, he does. So I haven't yeah. taken him in the car for a long yeah. time. So I'll... I'll be really quick. Car sickness in cats is really hard. Car sickness, car sickness in general is really hard. But in cats, it's often because they're very anxious. Um, and so the best thing you can do is get your cat used to being in its carrier and get the, used to being it in the carrier in the car without the car moving. And that literally means getting the cat into the carrier, putting the carrier in the car, turning the car on, getting him used to that over and over and over again. And then hopefully the anxiety will reduce. But also don't put the cat 
chat in when it's had a recent breakfast. So try to feed, not, not feed them <laughs> Good um, idea. on the days you have to travel them. Julie, I hope that helps. That's all we've got time for. Kimberly, thank you very much. You're very welcome. We will catch you very soon on Pet Chat. I think so. Two or three weeks. I can't remember. Beautiful. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.